Nobody questions things in this country anymore. Nobody wants to rock the boat. It's all bullshit, folks. It's all bullshit, and it's bad for you. But we believe them because they're pounded into our heads from the time we're children. Children should be taught to question everything, to question everything they read, everything they hear. Welcome to the first episode of Question Culture with Brian and Lornette. This is a bi-weekly podcast where each episode, Lornette and I will be discussing and questioning conventional wisdom about a topic we believe is important. On this first episode, we will be questioning the two-party political system. What's going on, Lornette? Uh, Nothing much. Nothing much. All right. Um, So to get started, um, since this is the first episode, I think it'd probably just be best to kind of tell people, you know, why we started the podcast. Um, What were you hoping to get out of it? Yeah, uh, Lornette Vestal, I I have a pot, uh, not a podcast. Well, this is a podcast I have now, Question Culture with Brian. But also um, I run a website called uh, evolvingman.com. So you can check that out and follow it, read some of the blog posts and um, interesting things there. And this podcast will be on that. And also you can find Question Culture on um, all social media, uh, Facebook coming soon. And I'm from Chicago, and I live in Atlanta, Georgia, with my my wife and two dogs. And my background is in social work. And also, I was a the member of the U.S. Navy for four years, 2001 to 2005. So what I hope is another independent platform of citizens discussing you know topics of the day um, related to politics, and you know probably other things and culture that impact us every single day. But uh, pr- primarily, I think this podcast will be um, very political and probably will piss off some people. Um, but what we really want to hope, hope to do is we want to have folks, you know, challenge conventional wisdom and just realize that just because we've done things this way all the time, that's not really true. The only constant in, in life is things change. <laughs> You get older or you got the other option that you're no longer here. So things change, um, whether you like it or not. So why are we just doing these things and just being like, oh, that's how we do it? We, sh- we should be willing to change. Yeah, may- maybe because it's comfortable. But I think people have an, uh, a way of, you know, just because something's, you know, is a certain way, they think that's it. That's the natural way or that's the way it has to be. Um, but like you said, things are constantly changing, um, and we can, you know, force change with our actions and with our words. Um, you can't ignore things and expect them to go away. Um, and I, you know, I think any person can see if you look around a little bit, there's a lot of problems with the world, you know, whether it be endless war, poverty, um, you know, there, take your pick of all the things that we need to change. Um, so hopefully you and me can just start a dialogue with people and kind of get, you know, people to see things in a different light. Hopefully people will interact with us and get us to see things in a new way and we can all kind of grow together. Yeah, yeah. Well, whether two people listen to this podcast or 2,000 or 200,000, um, I'm just, we got to put our truth out there, especially in this time of um, unrest, upheaval, pandemic, and just general craziness that is 2020. So uh, thanks for lighting a fire under my ass to start a podcast. <laughs> Likewise. Um, all right. And my name's Brian. And um, I really, um, you know, despite I, I had a, a pretty great upbringing, um, I guess what you you would call, you know, the stereotypical American dream lived in the suburbs of Chicago. 
um, and, you know, really had a, had a good family life, a good upbringing my family. You know, my parents were always employed so they could, um, could, could provide a good life for me. Um, but still, even with that, the older I got, the more I looked around and I just, you know, started to question why things are the way they, they are. Um, that eventually led to me, I would say the biggest milestone in my life was, uh, going to college where I met Lornette and getting my history degree. And, um, I don't know, just studying history just every day blew my mind about, you know, where we all come from, what we've, (laughs) what we've done to each other, how we treat each other. And it really, um, I don't know, just painted a different picture for me than what I expected. Um, and it kind of just changed my life in a big way and just kind of set me in a new direction, which I'm still walking to this day. And, um, I don't know, recently really want to, you know, feel motivated to, um, do even more. And I think just having an open discussion with people is a good way to uh, start changing things. Yeah. And yeah. And I just want to say that, um, the being deployed in 2003 during our operation Iraqi freedom is, you know, kind of fully opened my eyes. I mean, I kind of had some back and forth before then, but you know, I was a 19 year old kid at the time. Um, so I think that kind of blew it out the water because I, I wanted to understand why the hell we were going to war with this, you know, country, and you know why did why did why did you know Bin Laden attack New York, and then kind of what was the what was the steps leading up to the, you know nine eleven, and then also a couple of years later the war in Iraq where we found out that Saddam Hussein years later had nothing to do with the nine uh, eleven attack, and you know here we are. So yeah, yeah I history. Think, I think for a lot of people in our generation, nine eleven was a big. Um, turning point or just you know if you weren't really interested in world affairs up to that point it kind of shook you into paying attention a little bit exactly um and that brings us to our our topic today because these two political parties dominate the american political landscape since the you know 1800s um the democrat and republican party and we think they're wonderful and we have no problems with them whatsoever right (laughs) yes they are wonderful and in fact brian the Democrats are the good guys. They're the nice guys. And the Republicans are the really, really mean guys. And we just need to vote for more nice guys in the Democratic Party. And everything will be rainbows and butterflies. And don't you think Joe Biden is such a sweet, sweet, sweet old man? You know, you know the thing. You know, <laughs> you know come on, man. Come on, man. You know, we got 20 people, 2 million, 4 billion people died of coronavirus. Ah, oh, you know the thing. Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> my, my vice president, Barack Obama. <laughs> um, so I have a feeling we might not be alone with not liking Democrats and Republicans. But what is it exactly that we don't like? Is it just that they're, you know, mean people or what? what's our problem with them specifically, would you say? Well, I think what we can need to talk about is how we we believe that, you know, in the United States, um, you have one one vote, one voice. And every, you know, two years during the midterm elections or presidential elections, you vote for the candidate who you think will best serve your interests or, you know, at least close to it, even if you say they're not perfect or it's the lesser two evils. And that your one sole vote is going to save the soul of our great nation. Um, But in reality, (laughs) um, both political parties at its highest levels uh, don't really serve the everyday people. And I'm, I'm not just talking about, you know, working class people and poor people because um, true, but I'm talking about, you know, middle class people and even upper class people who are not 
in the political establishment. They they just a little bit comfortable. But it's kind of like what George Carlin said. You got the rich people who own everything and pay no taxes. You got the middle class people who pay all those taxes and work every single day. Then you got the poor people there just scared of shit out of the middle class people. And that's kind of a, a, a good summary of the economic structure in this country, despite the fact that we all believe that if we work hard enough, one day we'll be Oprah or Jeff Bezos exploiting our workers. Yeah, I think there's a common misconception. So, you know, as we're taught in grade school is you vote for this representative and then once they get elected, they are, you know, basically supposed to serve you, serve you the voter and what you want, you know, serve their constituents, as they would say. Um, That's the ideal how it should work. In actuality, what's happened is huge, um, incredibly powerful corporations have bought off politicians. So rather than serving the people, the, our politicians are now serving corporations. And what that means is they have the corporation's profit in mind above all else. So any kind of concern for the citizenry gets put you know, to the side if it's considered, you know, considered at all. Um, and if you think this only applies to Democrats or only replies to Republicans, you would be wrong. They have both been completely bought off. Um, I think that kind of, you know, the best evidence I can support for that would be a study done at Princeton. Um, The study was conducted between 1981 and 2002, and it basically included thousands of surveys, I think over 2,000 surveys. And what they did was they asked the American people, you know, just, you know, everyday people, um, what they wanted out of government, what issue was, was important to them, what they wanted to see happen. And then they looked at what was lobbied for by, you know, big corporations with the kind of the pressure that they put on, and then what ended up happening with the bills being passed. And anyone can look this study up, but long story short, what they found is what the American people wanted had zero impact on policy. The only time the American people's opinion affected policy was if they happened to align with a mega corporation. So basically, we're living in a, you know, a state where corporations control our politicians completely. And that's why, you know, that's the corruption with government. Yeah. Um, go ahead. No, no and, and uh, you know, people, you know, the reason why we call it question culture is, you know, we're just two guys uh, with, with two mics. Um, you know, we could be just, you know, some mid-30 dudes yelling at the sky. But we do have information that backs up our claims. And, you know, you know, still question it. Um, research for yourself. It's a couple of books I would recommend folks if they have the time and, and will um, check out Democracy in Chains. That talks about kind of like the last, since the Brown versus Board of Education, the unholy alliance between Republicans, white supremacists, and, and the far libertarian right to like, you know, uh, privatize everything. And then um, the Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein encapsulates that on a global scale and also inundates not just uh, Republicans that, you know, uh, are, are liberals' favorite punching bag and, and even the liberal media, so-called liberal media's favorite punching bag. Um, it, 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 it inundates the, the, the Democrats also. And then you can also watch Michael Moore's 11-9 documentary, despite him out here campaigning hard for Biden, um, so-called harm reduction, which <laughs> harm reduction. I don't even know that. I guess someone's consultant made up that term. But um, it talks about how in the 1980s, the, sh- the shift of the Democratic Party to get corporate donors 
like the Republican Party have been doing for a few decades already. But our nation's history kind of politicians were always bought and paid for by um, corporations since its inception. And if you don't believe that, um, think about the first product that the United States had that basically helped build this country for absolutely free, which was um, African slaves. And that was a business. <laughs> Simple as that. And the politicians in the, in the Constitution wrote that people who look like myself and my wife were three-fifths of the human being. So slave trade was a capital for capitalism, as immortal technique said. But we can t- keep it in the contemporary times so we don't have to go all deep into that history. So, Brian, um, I think one glaring example of how both political parties are compromised in a very contemporary term is the CARES Act that was passed, I think, back in March or April, around that time frame? Yes, definitely. And this would be a perfect example of Democrats and Republicans working together to screw us, the American people. Um, and it's funny, you know, because people will bring up the CARES Act and be like, oh, what are you talking about? We got that 1200 bucks, you know, that 1200 And if you look at that CARES Act, that was crumbs. What, what was it? Three trillion dollars went to bail out major corporations. Three trillion dollars. And they're bailing out the oil industry that is still pumping gas to this day. And they just have tankers lying along the coast of damn near every continent in this country because travel is down. Oil, you know, you know, it's one little break for the environment. But um, oil consumption is down a lot thanks to the coronavirus pandemic, but they're still pumping and they're still getting, we're basically subsidizing the oil industry while they gave us $600 for those who have lost their unemployment extra and a one-time $1,200 check, basically penance um, while we, our taxpayer dollars went to bail out these corporations, not to mention continue their, um, their wars all over the globe. And it's just a perfect example of where their loyalty lies, because they could have just as easily bailed out the people. You know, if you're injecting three trillion dollars into the economy, I would even argue it would be more effective to give in the hands of middle class and poor people because they're going to spend it more quickly, thus creating, you know, economic growth. But they didn't. They voted 96 to zero to just bail out these corporations to the tune of trillion dollars and then give us crumbs. And that's not the only thing that they voted together on. Um You know, and I guess something before we get into this, too, is if you notice on mainstream media, all they ever show you is what politicians say. Um, It's always what they said about each other, what they say about this. It's never what they've actually done, what they've actually voted on. Um, So I highly recommend there's a a website, Senate.gov, where you can go and you can look up any bill that's been passed in Congress to learn more about what it was, and you can see the vote count. And what you'll realize is when there's something that the people want, the Democrats and Republicans, oh, all of a sudden they can't get along. They just, oh, we just don't like each other. We don't see eye to eye. We can't get along. But if a major corporation wants something, something that they'll profit off of, Democrats and Republicans will align right away. Um, and history has borne that out. I mean, if we look at, I just looked up on that website, you know, a bunch of things that I considered were absolutely horrible for the, you know, average American citizen and the public um, and the country ultimately. Um, And it all had, you know, bipartisan support. So if you look at the Patriot Act, which, um, you know, if history books end up looking back at, you know, why America became so fascist, um, I think the Patriot Act would definitely be a milestone um, in that. That was passed 98 to 1. 
um, NAFTA, which uh, guttered, you know, gutted rural areas, the Rust Belt, um, basically, you know, um, was a big handout to, to huge corporate farming groups um, rather than, you know, family farmers. That passed 61 to 38 by, you know, Democrats and Republicans supporting it. Um, and then you have, you know, in addition to the CARE, the CARE Act, there was the 08 bailout, which just bailed out major corporations and, um, you know, just threw, threw all, you know, average working people out on the streets, threw them out of their homes. And that's while Obama was president. Yeah, and Obama also extended with the Democratic Congress uh, to extend the Patriot Act and not, you know, um, persecute um, the last administration for war crimes, because he said we need we don't need to stick in the past. We need to move forward. But that's because the Bushes and the Obama administrations were funded by the same um, Wall Street um, fat cats and, and companies. And and this is a very interesting thing. It's a um, um, an article that came out. Three reasons why the stock market is doing well while unemployment is high and you know it's just basically you know it, it talks about the stock markets reflects companies on individual people unemployment rates reflects individual people not the health of companies and the federal reserve has low set interest rates low so um i, I think it's true too it's i don't remember the exact percentages but i know it's something like 80 percent of the stocks are owned by like five to ten percent of the population Exactly. Um, and, so and then Wall Street ahead. is really just Wall Street is just really a gambling center for the uber wealthy is basically what it's turned into. Exactly. So, you know, um, the, the key message in this article is that the stock market is more concerned with the financial help of large corporations over individual individual people. And that is more concerned with the future than it is with the present. Thus, even moments when the present situation looks very economically bad for individual people, the future situation for large companies can still look pretty good. So that's why, you know, when you see Trump touting the Wall Street, you know, that's all fine and dandy. But we got people, my my partner, my wife uh, works in consumer protection. And we have senior citizens who are pawning off family heirlooms to stay afloat. We have folks who are behind on rent, mortgage, light gas bills. And we're about to go into to fall and then winter. And we still have this pandemic where people have lost their jobs. And yet Congress, a prime example of both parties not giving a flying fuck about people, is they decided to go on recess and not do another bailout. Uh, Not a people's bailout because, well, Wall Street was doing good. And in fact, they got those bailouts. And you got companies like American Airlines and Delta due to air travel being low uh, because people who work for jobs that travel a lot aren't flying. People aren't taking vacations. Uh, people, it's a lot of people not worried about the coronavirus and living their best life. Shout out to Instagram models and Instagram influencers. Um, but there's a lot of people who are just <laughs> still staying at home and just kind of hoping this thing is over one day. And instead of doing another stimulus package and dealing with unemployment and people's um, possible evictions and the high, high, high cost of food, they all took a took a break and went home on vacation because the court companies, they didn't need anything. And I mean, in all honesty, I guess we should have seen this coming because back when the 08 crash happened, they didn't do anything for the regular people. You know, that was under Obama and Obama was under the thumb of Wall Street. Um, I know that memo came out uh, back when he was president that showed that Citigroup that, you know, uh, who owns Citibank um, had made some recommendations for who they wanted to see on Obama's cabinet 
Mm-hmm. And it turned out that about, you know, 75, 80% of the people on that list ended up in his cabinet. Um, <laughs> you know, and there, there's a reason, you know, it's funny when I remember that when Obama, you know, people were talking about, are you going to, you know, um, prosecute Bush and Cheney for war crimes? And, you know, he said what you mentioned earlier about, oh, we're, we're looking forward. And it's like, well, any all crimes happened in the past or they weren't crimes you know we could say that about anything it's like hey i didn't murder that guy that was in the past we're looking forward exactly <laughs> you know yeah but you know the regular people don't have to d- deal with that uh you know regular people get are held accountable for their actions especially depending on what class background and racial background you are but um but if you're a regular person you're going to be held accountable and let's kind of go into like since we're talking about you know obama um our our, our fearless leader the greatest president who there ever was, I'm pretty sure a lot of liberals would have voted for him a third time, uh, like they said, and get out. Um, that, can, that can incorporate the larger DNC or uh, Democratic Party. Yeah, so, and th- one more thing to it, so we're, we're going to dig into kind of how examples of why the Democratic Party doesn't serve the people. Um, but the re- what I really want to drive home to people, and it's it's not that we think these people are particularly bad or good people. It's just in the current economic system that we live in within capitalism, people, everything's about money, right? Every single person in the world is trying to collect and hoard as much wealth as they can. So when so what's happening is corporations are literally buying off these politicians. There's roughly 12,000 lobbyists in Washington, D.C., run by only 300 firms. And they're in the ears of these. Not only are they in the ears, they're in the pockets of these politicians. So just think about, you know, any of us. If if someone came up and was like, hey, I'll give you a million dollars to do this. And the other person was just and then there was another person who's oh, I'm going to support you. I'll vote for you. I, I, you have my support. You know, almost everyone would take the million dollars and do what that person says. So that's exactly what's happening with these politicians, and the Democrats are not exempt. So yeah, yeah you, you want to get started going going in on the Democrats? Yeah, it, it's, it's pay for play. So now there'll be people who are saying you're helping Trump. You're helping Trump. You got to do harm reduction. You 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 Bernie Bros who are helping Trump. Um, first off, fuck Donald Trump. Second off, fuck Joe Biden too. How about that? I just put it out there. Mr. Crime Bill himself, but let's let's we can talk about the crime bill. We can we can even talk about even a bigger impact because the crime bill was pretty bad and it was on a trajectory because this country is always locked up uh, African Americans post slavery. Um, so I guess <laughs> it's a great hit, a documentary on PBS called uh, Slavery by Another Name and talked about kind of the rise in the infancy of the prison industrial complex and the yeah, chain there, gangs. There's a great book too called um, The New Jim Crow which is basically the new, you know, um, prison. The prison complex is the new way of um, basically enslaving black Americans. Yep, uh, free labor. Because in the 13th Amendment, um, all forms of slavery, with the exception of prison, is illegal in this country. But they conveniently leave in prisoners. So thus, when you are incarcerated, you are a property of your respective state or the federal government. So that's why you got people making things in prison for 25 cents an hour or, you know, putting out forest fires in um, in California. And just so if, if people don't know, the crime bill, which Joe Biden championed, um, what that really did was there's a lot of rules in there that had very racist undertones. So an example being um, that crack cocaine would be punished much, much more harshly than powdered cocaine. Well, who did 
crack cocaine was che cheaper to produce and could sell at a higher profit margin, so it was more common in poor neighborhoods, where they're literally, you know, chemically it's the same thing, it's the same high. So that was just, you know, and the crime bill's just littered with little racial undertones like that. So Three strike laws, so if you got caught selling weed three times, which is, was illegal everywhere at that time, you, you go to jail for a long time. And that was under the Bill Clinton administration. Um, and then it's a great book called Wise Rise of the Warrior Cop, which talks about how Joe Biden was instrumental instrumental in militarizing the police. And I think the new Jim Crow goes into this. Um, but feel free, folks, to Google this stuff and research it on your own. Don't take what we say as gospel. Um, and, and perhaps you may change your mind uh, about good old Uncle Joe. Uh, but just the DNC in, in general. because. And and let's let's try and you know i guess while we kind of touched on the subject of drugs but um you know let's go let's for the democrats let's kind of phrase it in a way or look at it from a perspective of what you know democratic voters want so um you know since we just were touched you know touched on it for a sec um legalizing weed is now 80 80 percent of democratic voters support it 60 percent of republicans support it so it's an extremely you know, a popular thing to happen right now. I think most people realize how harmless weed is. Um, but that it's not going to happen with the Democrats. The Democrats are bought off by the pharmaceutical industry, and they don't want people smoking weed. They want them, you know, buying their pills and stuff. So that's just one example. I mean, while we're on that, I guess healthcare is another example, right? Um, majority of Democratic voters want universal health care. But the Democrats, you know, they just sabotaged the, their only candidate who uh, who wanted that. Yeah. And let's talk about the fact that um, there is multiple studies, but there was, I think, one by either Princeton or Yale that said how much money Medicare for all would save um, the United States. And there's another study. It was a guy on Rising today um, who was talking about how employers with employer insurance, health insurance, um, it, it's a cost that went up. By like 75%. So employers are using a lot of their capital, small companies to all the way to big companies, um, to pay pay for health insurance. And that if you had Medicare for all system, that would free up a lot of capital to hire more people and thus create more jobs, as the, the, the GOP always claims, if you cut taxes and deregulate things, you create more jobs, but that's absolute bullshit. Um, what would create more jobs and give uh, companies big and small and employers big and small more capital is to have the government fit the bill for uh, Medicare for all. And this, you know, in, in this country is really interesting because the DNC debates, they were sounding like Republicans. Um, all those primary debates that we saw on CNN, um, MSNBC, Telemundo, um, PBS, whatever, they were always like, how can we afford Medicare for all? And it's like, we always claim that the United States is the richest country on earth, yet we can't do something as basic as universal health care when countries as diverse as Canada, Norway, Cuba, China, Uruguay, Thailand all do some form of single payer or universal health care for its citizens, the bare fucking minimum. And, and that was what was so infuriating you know i don't really watch those debates anymore because they're just like horrible reality shows at this point but when i did catch a little bit of it it was so infuriating you know it made me so mad that they were always the the you know msnbc they were always phrasing medicare for all like it was some radical idea or like you said how are you going to pay for this 
all the other industrialized nations of the world have this. It's not some radical idea if the rest of the world is already doing it. We're behind on this issue. And have been doing it for decades, if not longer than that. And, and it's we, been proven time and time again that's more effective. And how could and you know, and less you know, less cost, better care. And how could it not be? Because at the core, all these insurance companies they're just middlemen between you and your doctor, you know? Yeah. So and, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead, ahead, Brian. No. No, you know what? Go ahead. Well, I first off, I, I don't know why you didn't like those presidential debates. I thought they were highly entertaining. Um, the way they promote them on television, especially on the bit networks, is basically like WrestleMania. So you got Bernie versus Liz Warren, the SmackDown tonight, brother. And you're just like, what the fuck? Like everything is entertainment. And hence why we have a uh, reality TV star has our commander in chief who basically is an ignoramus, but he's rich as shit. So he's born with a silver spoon in his mouth. But we, we'll talk about the, the wonderful grand old party in a little bit. But, um, Let's kind of talk on a signature piece of legislation um, by one of the most popular Democrats in the country, or a controversy, depending on how you feel about her, um, is, the, is AOC's Green New Deal. And people, you know, the Green New Deal, um, big uh, green organizations all about it. Um, they're, you know, Green New Deal, Green New Deal. Well, the Green New Deal was actually the brainchild of the Green Party, hence the Green New Deal. Perfect marketing. Um, but the <laughs> the DNC, the Democrats, took that idea from the Green Party. So when people are like, third parties don't do anything for it, and they've never done anything for it. The reason why you fucking have a weekend, or we have Labor Day coming up, you can thank the Socialist Party for that. Social Security, you can thank the Socialist Party for that. So Green, third, third parties have had a major influence on policy. It's just that those ideas, whether they're good ones or bad ones, like the libertarians that seem to have a lot of bad economic ideas, um, the two major parties cannibalize those um, cannibalize those policies and use and take them as their own. I mean, yeah, I've been, you know, I saw it described the, that the Democratic Party is the, the graveyard for progressive ideas, and it's so true, and the Green New Deal is a perfect example. You know, AOC brought up this Green New Deal but the Democrats are shooting it down at every turn. I mean, they just had it, you know, they were going over their party platform and they had that they were going to stop subsidizing fossil fuels, you know, as much as they they had been in the past. That's, you know, the smallest crumb of change that you could give, but they took it out of their platform. So they're not even remotely, you know, Biden has said, I'm not going to ban fracking, I'm not going to ban fracking. Like, the world is on fire. You know, Australia, the entire continent was just on fire. California is constantly on fire. This is a, we're in the middle of a great extinction. And so we need to be, the way we mobilized after World War II or during World War II militarily is how we need to mobilize to change our infrastructure. And it could totally be a win-win, you know, because you could buy changing the infrastructure instead of from fossil fuels to renewable energies there's tons of jobs you could have in there but the democratic party absolutely refuses to even give out the smallest crumb because they're just as much under the thumb of the as of, of the uh, fossil fuel industries as the republicans are well first off brian we can push biden left and he's we can work with him um i see that on twitter all the time that's what the twitter karens tell me on uh, the twitter chats and they say i don't fucking know what i'm talking about um so, the way the way you, you follow me on Twitter, people, I'm corn pop. <laughs> the, <laughs> the way you <laughs> the way you push a politician to your point of view is by threatening to not vote for them. You can't do sh- once you've already voted for them and they already have the job. You pushing them is over 
unless you get out in the street and mass protest, which honestly is going to be needed anyway, because, you know, we're, we're kind of talking about voting in, the, in this thing. But um, voting is a very, very small and I would say almost the least effective way of participating in democracy. Um, I think that's the only form we're taught growing up is, all right, every four years, go and vote, and then you're a good American citizen and good job. But um, folks, that's not really participating in democracy. That's the bare minimum. Um, we need to get out in the streets and demand things. We need to show up to township meetings, demand things. We need to unionize in the workplace. We, you know, There's infinite ways to participate in democracy. So voting is a very small one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, yeah. Yeah, the democracy is is not a spectator sport. It's um not just uh, one day a year you go vote and the other three hundred and sixty four days you you sit on your ass and like oh, why things aren't changing? I, I voted for so and so. I voted for I voted for this guy. I voted for this lady. Why are things changing? You got to be completely active in organizing your community, mobilizing your community um, at every at every angle. Um, so we've been beating up on the on the, the DNC for a while. Uh, we can shift our, our focus um, perhaps to why. What's wrong with the Republican Party, Brian? <laughs> All right. And I think it will be good to phrase, you know, frame it kind of um, because it's the way I see it. Uh, Democrats and Republicans, they work for the same people. They just have a different set of lies. Democrats have lies that appeal to progressives. Uh, Republicans have lies that um, appeal to conservatives, um, and well, I would the, I would the caveat. Sorry to interrupt you, but the caveat is they have lies that appeal to the DNC, to liberals and faux progressives, <laughs> and, right. and, and and some actual progressives um, because people believe that Liz Warren is one. But Elizabeth Warren used to be a Republican, and back in 1996. Despite all the horrible things that happened in the 80s with Reagan, as far as like, you know, the war on drugs, um, calling black women welfare queens and black men uh, uh, welfare kings in the uh, Willie Horton ad that was put out there by the Daddy Bush campaign in the late 80s. Um, you know, this you know horrible incident happened where this couple was murdered and the woman was raped and the, the, the person accused of it was a was a black male inmate and this was just playing to the stereotypes of like black people are dangerous and, and fearful and and of course these black men will rape you um that's kind of like it was a very racist ad and it was like look this democrat if he gets elected you know they'll go out and you know they'll have black people out in the street raping and killing and i see a, a recent trump ad that was kind of like that you know uh, if joe biden becomes president according to the nra you can have a gun and then people are going to attack you in your car and kill and rape you. So <laughs> welcome to Joe Biden's America, despite everything is burning down under Trump's America, because both parties have gutted the treasury and left the people to fend for themselves because they broke the social contract. But let's talk about ways that the, the GOP broke the social contract, Brian. Yeah, well, and that's one thing about the Republicans that always astonished me was I feel like they have a monopoly. They really drive home American exceptionalism. You know, they're always America's the greatest country on earth. God bless America. Make America great again. You know, that kind of stuff. But uh-huh. if you look at again, that's what they say. But if you look at what Republicans do, 
I mean, look, take Trump, for example. All his products that he's sold over the years, they were all made in different countries. So if he cares about America so much, why are all his products made overseas? If Ameri- if Republicans care about veterans so much, you know, they're always pro-military, always going on about that. Um, they've passed bill after bill to cut funding for the VA and for veterans programs. And now we live in a country, you know, I think it's like close to half of the homeless population are veterans. So if they care about America and the military so much, why are they letting all the veterans die, you know, freeze out on the street at night? Hey, Brian, Uh, they tell us veterans, thank you for your service. And that is good enough for me, damn it. America. Yeah, see, that's what I mean. (laughs) That's what I mean. It's just this whole that they pretend to care about America so much, but they're you know they gut it out from the inside they care the least you know yeah and, and and we can talk about the republican party and their their role in kind of shaping our economic system and it, it goes back to a, a, an a, a, so fdr is considered a, one of the greatest president in american history and he you know created the the new deal and basically you know kind of was there when uh, japan attacked pearl harbor First off, we had um, knowledge that the attack was imminent way before it. Um, those yep, soldiers, that was those, one of those things in history that blew my mind. Yeah, those sailors could have, and sailors and Marines at, in Pearl Harbor could have had heads up to get the fuck out of Dodge, but we didn't um, to get into the war. Because we needed the excuse to go to war, right? And we, we wanted to start that. The, the, the weapons industry and the, the military industrial complex was in its infancy, and they saw, like, this is money we're not getting in, so um, we got to get into this thing. But and you know, the, and they were worried about um, bankers that owned American bankers money from you know England and uh, places on the on the Allies in Europe. They were worried that they weren't going to be able to pay off their loans and things. So they're like, oh shit, maybe we need to you know get involved because we want that money. Exactly. So the the New Deal was you know Hill has like propping up the economy and in many ways it did during uh, the Great Depression, and you know it had some really good programs. Although you know. As always, um, we they made a deal, kind of like how the slave holding states and the non slave holding states made a compromise when we wrote the Constitution. So, uh, we you know, the land of the free, but we having people in bondage. Um, during the New Deal, they did the same thing. So, the New Deal did help out, you know, a lot of you know, white families and things like that, but they purposely excluded um, a lot of African Americans, people of color, from those, um, from those, from those New Deal policies. And one stain on um, FDR is his um, not not taking in Jewish refugees refugees until it was you know pretty pretty late into this thing. So that's that's one stain. But he had an economist named Kinsian who kind of understood like to, in order to maintain capitalism, you have to give the people something, and if you break that, you break the social contract. So Keynesian economics was about, you know, companies can still make money and things like that, but we need to tax them, regulate them. We also need to provide, you know, public goods for the people um, and create, you know, laws and things like that that benefit people. So it's the reason why your five-year-old is going to school versus going to the factory to go work and get black lung in a mine or something, a mine or something like that. Um, yeah, and th- that's kind of what's annoying too about another lie that republicans tell is that they're you know they always blame the government for things and and i see this you know a lot even with like libertarians that you know if we just got the government out of the way and let business do its thing 
And it's like, and anyone who follows that ideology, I would really like you to read American history from like 1850 to 1930. Um, because if you don't have government regulating, profit for industry does not align with morality. Um, so if we didn't have government regulating things, um, your three-year-old would be working in a coal mine until they died of, you know, black lung disease at 12 years old. Um, that's what, you know, there were no child labor laws. There was no workers comp. So if you just, you know, got injured and, you know, had a, you know, broke your leg in half and could never walk again. Um, oh, well, goodbye. See, you know, so long. We're going to get someone else to fill this spot. So we need government there to, you know, as long as we live in a capitalist system, we would need the government to protect us from just, you know, the obscene profit and just, you know, the sole prof profit motive. Yeah, and, and, and kind of going into Milton Friedman and kind of how his his economic theory shifted from Keynesian model to the Friedman model is Friedman argued for free trade, smaller government, and a slow, steady increase of money supply in the growing economy. He emphasized on monetary policy and equality that the theory of money become monetarism. Um, so kind of they took that theory over the years and... Um, the book, The Shock Doctrine, explains it far better than I could ever do. Um, but we get, to the, we get to the 1980s, and it kind of reaches the zenith of the idea of, that Reagan put out there of trickle-down economics. You know, you need to get government out of everybody's life, despite the fact that they, the Republicans are always in, in a woman's life uh, when it comes to abortion. <laughs> but we need to get government out of your life. That's like a private decision between that woman and whoever impregnated her. Um, yeah, but, yeah, but, well, but well, that that goes to the whole merging of organized religion with ah, the yeah. state, which is yeah. we'll get into that in another episode, I'm sure. Yes, we will. <laughs> but um, the the idea of trickling economics is you deregulate, you deregulate, um, you cut down government, you shrink it, and allow these companies to you know profit wildly and that money will tr somehow trickle down to the poorest people because as obama once said and reagan a rising tide lifts all boats um and that theory is absolutely bullshit because as we see we can bring it to contemporary times with the cares act um that three trillion dollars that you know it's a republican controlled senate it's a republican controlled white house and we've seen since the COVID crisis has started that wealth at the top has skyrocketed. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, all the richest people in the world are, you know, their bank accounts are, you know, thriving. While you have mass, mass layoffs, eviction notice, um, instability in the streets, and yet the rich are, are living their best life. I'm living and my best life. And you know what, what some people may not understand, um, you know, if they didn't have the, the privilege of maybe taking an economics class or something like that, is Republicans like to paint this other lie that, you know, anyone can become a billionaire. It's just, you know, we should all, we shouldn't hate billionaires. We should all, you know, try to become billionaires. But the problem with that is that's not how the economy works. The economy is a pie. So the more one person has, the less everyone else has. And you can see it born, you know, uh, playing out in America right now. I think it's, what is it, like three people have as much wealth as 50% of the population? Something so, like that. 
Yeah, and what what's going to happen is, and then if all these poor people, you know, if half the population doesn't have any spending power, then they can't buy anything. And so then, you know, that's, you know, uh, the economy is all about supply and demand and money moving around. But if it gets concentrated into the just a select few people, um, it's, you know, the economy is going to shut down. And we see that happening. And another thing I want to, you know, people to understand is I think there's this thing, you know, when when certain people, you know, start attacking rich people for having too much, we're not talking about the plumber who started his own business and now has a nice house, you know, out in the burbs. We are talking about the insane wealth of people like Jeff Bezos. Like, this isn't, you know, these billionaires that just, I mean, we can't even, your mind can't even comprehend how much a billion dollars is. I mean, I don't remember the the exact numbers, but I don't know. It was some crazy, like, a million seconds, um... I don't know. I can't remember. It was something like 30 minutes, but then like a billion seconds is like 11 years, you know? So it's just yeah. the insane wealth. And that's another thing, too, is Republicans always like to portray themselves as giving a shit about the common man. You know, that happened with Trump. Trump was very good at, I'm going to, I'm an outsider and I'm going to drain the swamp. Yeah. It's like you are a billionaire. You've admitted to buying off politicians. They are the swamp. You know? Exactly. Like, And you hired the same Wall Street people. That was that were working for Bush. Uh, Steve Mnuchin is a, is a guy that our, our dear sister Kamala Harris failed to prosecute because he made a whole bunch of money off that housing crisis in the early the mid two thousands. Uh, well, the early two thousand. Well, the late two thousands in two thousand eight, two thousand nine housing crash, where basically um, and and I want to say that the economy, Brian, you're talking about the economy for like regular everyday people, you know, folks who are white collar or blue collar. But when we talk about the economy, what they're really talking about is Wall Street. And kind of what I mentioned in that article earlier today um, in, our, in our talk is that the Wall Street, the stock market, only gives a shit about major corporations. And these major corporations are owned by these billionaires. So people can be fucking starving in the street, but as long as you know their stocks are doing good, you know the rich are you know, creating more money, hedge funds, they're... They're they're living large. They're making record profits, and Amazon is one of the biggest winners of this COVID uh, crisis, and yet they pay their goddamn workers slave, I mean, piss poor wages. They don't. They union bust. Um, they're like not allowed to get bathroom breaks. Yes, I mean it's 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 terrible. And like Amazon is a is a very successful company, and it's like look, motherfucker, Jeff Bezos, you can have your you can you can have your fucking money, pay, but fucking you should get taxed. Because I shouldn't be paying more tax than you. I make, you know, a modest salary. You fucking have 200, you're worth $200 billion. And you don't get fucked, your company doesn't get taxed. Yep, Amazon didn't pay any taxes in 2019. Yes, like the person who bought a fucking bottle of Coke or a pack of smokes at the store paid more taxes than fucking Amazon did this year. Yes, sales tax is part of taxes, libertarian friends and my Republican friends. So the economy, the stock market only gives a shit about what, how Wall Street is doing, how big corporations are doing, and what those corporations are valued at. That doesn't trickle down to the everyday people. Because if that was the case, we see a lot more equal society. And yet every city you go to, whether it's you know Salt Lake City, Utah, Miami, Florida, here in Atlanta, Georgia, Chicago, if you go to the urban centers, there is homelessness, you go to some of the rural areas, you see miles and miles of trailer park, lots of destitute, destitution and desperation. The Rust Belt in the Midwest is truly a Rust Belt. 
And that's due economic policy because we shipped all these jobs overseas and expanded markets. And one of the last things I want to talk about the Republicans is, you know, you know, I, I, I had a veteran. I, I was in the military and they were like, got to vote Republicans because they give they give military raises. First off, if you look at the Bush raises for the military and you look at the Clinton raises under the military, it was the same fucking thing. And Congress gives themselves a 15 percent raise every fucking year. And also, 56% of Congress, according to a 2011 study, were fucking millionaires and above. So, you have someone like Trump, who's a billionaire. You have someone like Nancy Pelosi, who's worth $120 million. They don't live in the same world you live in. They live in the world of the 1%. And your broke ass, even if you make $300,000 a year, Trump would jump out a window if he had if he woke up and saw that in his bank account. <laughs> and... And another thing with the, you know, just Republicans and veterans, if you not only not paying them, not giving them proper health and medical care, but if you really cared about the lives of these veterans, would you start a foreign war of aggression for nothing but oil? I mean, look at under Bush starting, you know, the Iraq war, Afghanistan wars. These were all started purely on a lie. I mean, if we're being, you know, really honest, the reason we started these wars is because Dick Cheney had, you know, stock in Halliburton and stood to make millions of dollars. So think of all the American veterans that were maimed, killed in these wars that we all, you know, in retrospect, we all know how bad they were. And, you know, they're going to be portrayed. Oh, that was a mistake. We shouldn't have done that. Just like I did um, Vietnam. But, but all these right, wars are to right. expand. But the it empire. wasn't a mistake. Right. But it's, it wasn't a mistake. Yeah. They did that shit on purpose. Yeah. All you got to do, if you read the shot doctrine, it will talk about, you know, just in modern times, these these wars and these military excursions were never to, like, bring freedom and democracy. It was to open up markets for, ma- for major corporations. And in this in this country, we fucking have, we have monopolies. Look, we, in if, this game... Yeah, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, it's, uh, people who kind of like, what the fuck you mean we have monopolies? Simple, a simple thing. If you have cable or internet, which most people do, depending on where you live at, you can either get Comcast or AT&T. Now, if there's a free market and everybody can compete, it could be some smaller companies that have faster internet, better internet, or better cable providers for you, and you can get that. So you can either get Comcast or AT&T for internet. And you might be able to get Dish Network for like you know your, your 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 cable, but that's about it. That that's a monopoly right there. Disney it has it's a media conglomerate. It owns ABC, ESPN. It you know Jeff Bezos owns not only Amazon but he owns the Washington Post. The, the, this is the idea. This is the, the definition of monopolies where one company owns fucking everything. Walmart. And and I don't want people to think, you know, these monopoli- monopolies starting, you know, like Dick Cheney with Halberton starting foreign wars. This is not a new idea. Um, one of my favorite, you know, it was a super short book, but um, uh, General Schmedley Butler was a general in the U.S. Army in World War One. He was one of the most decorated um, servicemen of all time. You know, he started whatever the lowest ranking was, a private or whatever he was, worked his way up to general. And he wrote a book called War is a Racket. And he detailed how he went and sent troops into different parts of the world to, um, you know, secure resources for, for corporations or to destabilize areas so our corporations can go in and steal resources. Um, and it goes to absurd lengths. Like, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone knows Chiquita Banana um, used to be owned by United Fruit Company. And they started wars and we slaughtered civilians and, you know, American servicemen died all just so that they could control the farm, you know, the farms in Central America so they could grow their bananas. Um, 
So, you know, it's just absolutely, you know, this has been going on for a while. It's nothing new. Um, it just continues. It's a chain. So, you know, Bush started, um, you know, f these foreign wars, you know, these two foreign wars in the Middle East. Obama expanded them to seven, started droning people, including American citizens, without due process. And now Trump's drone bombing more people than Obama was. Yeah. And there's a great report called the Afghanistan Papers that came out in the Washington Post in the at the end of 2019. And it kind of swept under the rug because you couldn't say Trump was bad because three different presidential administrations of so-called left and right were inundated in this in this report. So as Brian said, uh, from the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. So um, I think the thing we need to think about is that, you know, the media has portrayed, and, and a lot of liberals, you know, watch who watch MSNBC and, and CNN, kind of feel like everything in this country that's wrong today started with Trump, and he is not the cause of these problems. He's only a symptom. And even if you remove someone like Trump, who is very dangerous, don't get it twisted, and a very you know root cause of some of our problems, but he's benefited from a system that rewarded individuals who were. We're at the top of the economic um, ladder. So so the idea that Donald Trump is this uniquely evil thing, it's a system that helped create Donald Trump. And that enabled him to do the things he's doing. And Exactly. And that's what's so frustrating to me. You know, I, I want people, people who are subscribing, and I think most people do, because I don't think, like the last election, I don't think anyone liked Trump or Hillary. You know, it was, it was the lesser of two evils to everyone. And mm -hmm. what I just want people to think for a sec where they think that road's going to lead. Where is constantly, if just year after year, every four years, you're just lesser of evil, how do you think you're going to end up anywhere but in an evil ass place? And let's, you know, even say, let's take, you know, your lesser of two evil arguments. Let's say you're on the Democrat side and you're like, okay, if I vote for the Democrats, that's the lesser of two evils. You got to be realistic and realize the Republicans are going to win sometimes. So if you're doing, you know, lesser of two evils, so things gets a little shitty, then a Democrat, then a Republican gets elected and gets real shitty, then a Democrat gets elected and gets a little shittier, and then real shitty, and then a little shittier, and that's just a staircase downward into evilness and into an evil country. So we have to start shifting the debate, and we have to start voting for our interest, not what we think is least worse. We have to start voting for what we want. And I think to that end, it'd be a good time to bring up alternative political parties. Yes. So um, the first thing I want to talk about as far as like third parties is um, recently there was a thing online, People's Convention, which featured numerous speakers, including um, Cornell West, Marion Wilson, Nina Turner, Chris Hedges. Um, so some you know really cool, interesting speakers. And part of me, you know, so the good of it was is that, you know, this ideal is kind of gaining steam of that we need a third party. And I would take it even further. We need a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Yeah, mo um, most countries have many political parties. This two-party system is yes. very unique to the United States. Yes, and I know people on the Democratic side, just like on the Republican side, will argue that, well, you know, I think the Democratic Party is for everybody, um, whether you're a, a, a a Colin Powell Democrat, or your Bernie Sanders, or your uh, or your uh, uh, a leftist, and it's like, no, I don't think my politics are aligned with with um with Colin Powell. 
Um, my politics are more aligned with Bernie Sanders. But if we want to be honest, in the rest of the world, he's actually the more moderate liberal politician um, compared to some of the more leftist parties. But we talk about the United States as focused on our country. So right now, there is a reason why um, we have two major political parties and how they have created mechanisms to basically block out um, third parties over the over the decades. So we can go back in history. And in 1912, the Socialist Party got 6% of the presidential vote in that election. And also, members of the Socialist Party held offices all over the country. And even today, I think the Green Party, which is, a, is a th- a, a, probably one of the biggest third parties we have, they hold you know, probably like 100-plus offices across the country. But um, yeah, and let's talk about what some, we're speaking about yeah, too. Ahead, and Brian. so maybe you know, people didn't know there. There's a movement online called Movement for a People's Party, and really, what they're just trying to do is get alternative parties started that don't take corporate donations. And that's really what we need to start doing. Is it's, you know, if if you pay attention, you realize that the Democrats and Republicans have made it completely clear that they are under the control of these, you know, uber wealthy corporations. And so if we want to start changing things, if the American people are going to wrestle back their own government and their democracy from these corporations, we have to start forming new parties that are not beholden to these corporations. So that's really what the goal is. Yeah, and a simple way to explain how the, both the Republicans and Democrats kind of um, prevented third parties from rising, whether it's the Libertarian Party or the Green Party on equal footing, is both those parties over the years through various laws and, and have basically gerrymandered gerrymandered things so you can only be Democrat or Republican or you can only run for office if you choose one of these two parties um, at all levels of government, at the state, local, and national level. There is a, a, a court case going on with the Green Party where the Democratic Party is trying to, you know, keep them off the ballot. So, um, or, you know, just one thing they do for the presidential elections. Um, if you're a third-party presidential candidate, whether you're from the Libertarian or Green Party or Socialist Party, you have to like submit your paper paperwork, you know, eight months before the election, and way way faster than the Democrats and Republicans. And also, you need a certain number of signatures, and they it's a moving target. So it's shorter time it's shorter times for the Democrats and Republicans to get their signatures in, and they require new third parties nominee candidates for each election. Uh, to re-up that cycle with, with more signatures. So every cycle they have to gain all these signatures just to get on the ballot, whether you're running for president or whether you're running for governor or whether you're running for, like, your local councilman. So these are just laws they put into place. And not only so, you know, Lornette just mentioned those structural barriers to party, you know, um, alternative parties that we're going to have to overcome, but we also have to overcome the thought of them in our own mind. You know, I speak with a lot of people who admit, you know, for example, Hillary and Trump, that those were horrible choices. And so I brought up, you know, the Green Party, you know, um, Jill Stein at the time, she had some good ideas. What, what about that? Um, and, you know, the response was always, oh, you know what, they can, you know, they'll, they'll never win. Third party will never win. And it's, you know, I just couldn't help but think, well, they're not going to win because you have that thought. If you change that thought and put your vote for them, you know, started talking to other people about it, got them voting for it. If we all changed our perception of what was possible, you know, we can only create what we can imagine. 
So you have to, we have to start imagining a new way of doing things and start, you know, thinking that it can happen because then eventually it will happen if you will it. Yeah. But if you're constantly, oh, that'll never happen, then it won't happen because you're in that mindset. It's all about changing your own mindset. Exactly. And, and the thing is, it's twofold. So I'm glad there's momentum around that, you know, people's convention. And, you know, I was kind of taken aback because a lot of the speakers, especially the primetime speakers they had, were kind of like, well, we're all going to vote for Biden. And I was like, is this like a low-key endorsement for like the Democratic Party? And is this this controlled opposition from the actual like progressives and leftists and all the other people who kind of find that cohort to kind of be like, all right, let's rile them up and then we'll, we won't do anything. And that's, that's kind of, you know, hopefully it's not the case. Hopefully there's real momentum around the third party because the two major political parties are completely compromised. And there's been times in history where, you know, we had a Whig, the Whig Party at one time, and those would eventually evolve to the Republican Party. So political parties have changed throughout our history. And a lot of good ideas that that the Republicans or Democrats have, which Republicans are a few good ideas, but they probably stole it from some of these fucking third parties. Just like we talked about how the Democrats kind of took the idea of the Green New Deal from the Green Party. I would think, I would suggest if they really, this people convention has some move, movement and that these third parties uh, need to set aside their differences. So I'm talking about Libertarians, Green Party, Socialist Party, this People's Party that's coming up. And they need to, you know, combine their resources and create a joint center to study ballot access suppression. Because basically the Democrats and Republicans have gerrymandered the ballot to see what parties can get on there. And even as prime example is when I went to go vote in the primary here in Georgia, I had to choose either Democrat or Republican to support to vote in the presidential primary. And some states have open primaries and there's other ways you can mechanisms. You can do rank, rank choice voting. That's been implemented in the state of Maine. So, you know, if you have 10 choices for candidates on that ballot, you can choose one and, you know, that can get over the whole, this person, this third party person's a spoiler. Um, you know, it's the person with the most votes that gets the win. So you can have multiple parties and multiple candidates on the ballot. And maybe you can get a party that reflects you. Because it's kind of asinine that we have a country of 330 million people and counting. And yet we have two major political parties that represents that political ideology. That's absolute bullshit. And, and, and we're supposed to be a representative democracy. You have, you have multiple choices for what you can drink as far as like beverages and stuff at the store or cereal even though they're all kind of owned by like one or two companies or three companies at the most. But our politics is just blatant like monopolies. It's monopoly of the Democrats. It's monopoly of the Republicans. And everybody has to fall in line with them or try to align with them versus having a more representative democracy where more ideas can get out there, especially parties that are not beholden to corporations like Amazon, Verizon, Walmart, Shell Oil, Exxon Mobil. So. And I think it's important what you touched on is different groups need to start working together, even though, you know, people are have vastly different belief systems and ideas. So if you're going to be looking for people who just think exactly like you, you're just going to set yourself up for, for failure. It's much better to pick, you know, a, an idea that you believe is extremely important and then work with people who, you know, you don't agree with on everything towards that end. 
Um, Medicare for all would be a perfect example. Majority of the country, Democrats and Republicans, you know, people who identify as Democrats and Republicans, support Medicare for all. So, you know, that would save so many lives and, you know, stop people from going bankrupt for medical bills. So that's just a perfect example is, you know, start working together for goals, even if you don't, you know, agree with someone on everything. Yeah, and I would strongly encourage these third parties that, you know, get probably every presidential election a, a small percentage of the vote, but they pull their resources and try to kind of challenge these laws that the Democrats and Republicans have in place. And even if, like, the Greens and Socialists and Libertarians don't agree with each other, they still need to, like, work together for a short period of time, a few years of getting these things struck down so they can have equal access to the ballots for their candidates and parties. And then, you know, they can go back to, you know, their party platform. But And then for the American voter needing to change their mind because the biggest political party in this country is 100 million Americans who don't fucking vote. And a vast majority of our working class people. And I'm not saying that all these people have the same aligned interests. No, they have different religions, backgrounds, races, um, live in different parts of the country. However, they are people who, vast majority of them, and this is a Knight Foundation survey, uh, found that most of them have just given up on the political system because they don't care who's the president, who's the governor, who's the mayor, no matter which party. Their wages have been stagnant forever, and they see less opportunity for their children than they did for themselves. And I'll admit, I, you know, I was one of those people for a little bit um, after Obama's first term. I didn't want to vote for him again after I saw what he had done. Um, and so I just stopped voting because I'm like, what's the point? Democrats and Republicans, you know, I, I bought into that whole thing that, you know, voting is just a s- suggestion box for slaves because um, that's how I truly felt. Um, now, you know, I do. I did kind of I, I was turned on to these, uh, you know, these third parties, the green parties and ideas. You know, I did see that. I kind of saw it as a, a, a light of hope, you know, trying to form our own political parties, um, you know, just alternative parties to actually start trying to change things because the Democrats and Republicans are just so stuck in a, an outdated way of doing things. Exactly. And it doesn't reflect the will of the people. So what do you say to people? Because, you know, in 2016, it's this claim that the Green Party was a spoiler despite the fact that Jill Stein got, like, I believe, 1% of the votes. And ironically, the libertarian, Gary Johnson, he got 4% of the votes. But, you know, we don't talk about that. <laughs> um, and, and it's people to this day who still blame Ralph Nader for, for Bush when it was the Supreme Court that gave Bush the presidency, not fucking Ralph Nader. Um, you're not going to get the, this block of 100 million people that are voting. You're not going to be able to vote or shame them into doing what you want. So this argument, oh, if you... If you don't vote for Biden, that's a vote for Trump. It's like, no, your vote is who you voted for or who you didn't vote for. So if I didn't vote for Trump, I didn't vote for Trump. You know, you can't just because you want something to happen, then they don't do it your way. And you're saying, oh, well, then you're against me. You know, it's such a a flawed ideology. And it's stupid. And I I have to say to those people who are like, well, this podcast and your, your opinions are helping Trump. Well, what are you doing? You can phone bank for Biden. You can donate to Biden. You can do whatever. If you think that that's your candidate, you you have that right. But the thing is, people should have a right to have party political parties that reflect upon them and their interests. And right now we have two major political parties that don't do that. And all the evidence, mounds of evidence that proves time and time again that they come together to support war. And, and here's the thing, you know, is 
Trump is this, you know, incredibly, in, you know, let's say I would, you know, arguably, argue accurately so that Trump is this unprecedented evil. Um, but if you, okay, let's say we get Biden, the, the Democrats and the politicians before them led up to Trump. So if you, you know, go, you know, vote for Biden, next time you might get someone even worse than Trump if you keep building these systems of evil. If you keep going down the lesser of two evil road, you're going to end up with someone evil. So maybe, you know, we should accept, you know, we should voting, having Trump now biting the bullet early and dealing with it now rather than continuing going down this road even, because I think you could argue Trump is an incompetent fascist where we might have a, you know, a competent one down, down the road that's even worse. So this idea that you can get the lesser of two evils and kind of slide your way out of ending up somewhere really bad, just I'm telling you historically, it has shown that it does not work out. But, um, you know, as we tend to do, I think we rambled on and went over a little bit. So I think we just wanted to kind of get into final thoughts here. Um, so my final th- thoughts on this topic is simple. Um, I think that three things need to happen. Well, two, two re- really major things need to happen. I think, first off, Americans need to... Well, three, three things. First off, Americans need to realize that both parties kind of don't give a shit about them and i think the young people on the streets right now uh, whether you agree with them or not who doesn't really matter a lot of them don't really they're they they've lost faith in their political system because they've seen in their whole entire lives their lives getting worse so that's that's not where you want your country to be at losing losing faith in your institutions um so recognize that maybe it's time for a change a substantial change and you can demand that from your current elected officials, but also we need to consider um, options. So I think the second thing is political imagination. We Americans need to change our political imagination. We need to think beyond like this is how it's always been and this is how it always will be. Um, things change all the time and the world is just an idea. And thus, if it's just an idea, then you can change that idea because ideas change all the time. So I think our political imagination needs to go beyond just like the two or lesser evils because the two or lesser evils still leads you down to evil. And the only thing we that's the only thing we rationalize like that in this country. It's not like I would if Honda or Ford made cars that exploded and you're just like, oh, get a Honda or, or Ford. A Ford explodes every four years. Your Honda will explode, explode every three years. It's the two or lesser evils. That would be no one. No one would buy those com- cars, and they would those cars would be that companies would have, those companies would be out of business. So it's the same kind of logic. Like I need to either vote for the serial killer or the serial rapist. At least I'm not getting killed, so I keep voting for the rapist. Like what? And ironically, in, in reality, we, we are we do have two racist. Yeah, I mean, rapists. Yeah, they both have multiple racist sexual candidates. assault, assault charges. <laughs> so, and then I think the last thing is. Um, the third and final thing is that the third parties of this country need to pull their resources to challenge these laws and this gerrymandering of political systems that's hindered them from kind of rising to any prominence. And I don't think it needs to just be the Green Party or the Libertarian Party. I think it needs to be multiple parties and even new parties to represent working people, to represent middle class people, to represent all types of people. Because two parties claiming that they represent the interests of all of us when they really only represent the interests of the 1% and Wall Street, period. 
Yeah, I think that's my overall hope from this episode is for everyone, and no matter what level you are, is to try and get more politically active, um, whatever that means for you. You know, if if you've already, you know, kind of understand the things we t- were talking about, but you never went to a protest or, um, you know, went to a town hall meeting, start doing those things. If everything we're saying is brand new to you and you haven't heard any of this, you know, start, you know, pick up a history book, pick up, you know, other literature about these things, um, just so you can start learning, you know, that, that in and of itself is a big, um, you know, a big leap. And it's really just because you can't have any hope or any optimism without action. You know, it's just, you can't just sit there and expect things to change. There needs to be action for things to change. You know, it's, and that, that's like anything in life. If, if you want to lose weight, you can't just sit on the couch and say, I hope I lose weight. You have to get up and exercise and eat better and, and, you know, change your ways. And we all need to work together to start changing things. And the last thing I'll say is if you just, you know, hate politics, which, you know, I, I completely understand, um, but unfortunately the world the way it it is is even if you're not into politics politics is into you um there are extremely wealthy people out there who are planning your future so if you don't stand up for yourself they'll you know if you don't use your voice they'll use your voice for you um so just do you know whatever you can and and, you know kind of like this podcast says just start questioning everything don't take things as they are really start to think about how things you know look into things for yourself um and with that, um, I think uh, I want to end it on just, uh, I think we're going to be ending our podcast with a quote from people from history we respect. Um, obviously, as you could probably tell by now, me and Lornette love history. Um, you know, all the beliefs we have were um, ideas we took from people before us. Um, so we just wanted to kind of share a good quote on each topic. Um, so I think, Lornette, you had one from Martin Luther King. Yes, but I'm going to let you go first because I'm trying to find that quote right now. All right. <laughs> Sounds sounds good. So I have one from Eugene V. Debs, and uh, he said, "It's better to vote for what you want and not get it than to vote than to vote for what you don't want and get it." So you know, vote for your interests, vote for things that you support. Don't be, you know, kind of railroaded into this lesser of two evils. Vote for what you want. Take control of your own life, and you know, support politicians who um, don't take corporate donations, and you know, have your you know, have your interests at heart rather than some, you know, f- nameless, faceless corporation. Uh, okay, so the quote is that Martin Luther King said in 1956, actually the Negro has been tra- betrayed by both the Republican and the Democratic Party. All right, so I really want to thank anyone who listened to this. Um, you know, hopefully this will be a bi-weekly podcast. We're going to pick a topic that we like. Um, and then we, this should be available on, you know, anywhere and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, we'll also be sharing it on, you know, all major social media platforms. So we hi- highly encourage you to let us know what you think, you know, try and be a little bit civil <laughs> at least. But, um, you know, let us know what you thought. Let us know if you have any questions. We can definitely read, you know, read them on a podcast or at least come up with ideas for future podcasts. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, Thank you, Lornette. And as always, question everything.
Any views or opinions expressed on this podcast belong solely to Brian and Lornette or their guests and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that Brian and Lornette or their guests may or may not be associated with in any professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.